Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Robert Jarrell has supported independent tech news directly for just about a day. Why not be like Robert and become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Thursday, April 18th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From the geese-laden shores of Lake Merritt, I'm Justin Robert Young. And hot on the trail of Carmen Sandiego and the show's producer, Robert <laughs> Uh, we have got a load of good tech news for you today and some other tech news that you still should know about. Uh, let's start with a few tech things you should know. Netflix is planning a new 100,000 square foot production office in New York City, which New York State Governor Andrew M. Cuomo says will provide up to $100 million in investments to the city. The offices will suppo- supposedly house 127 new executive employees in New York City that Netflix plans to hire by 2024. So it's going to you know happen over a few years. But that also includes content acquisition, development, production, legal, publicity, and marketing positions. Netflix also has leased around 161,000 square feet to build six sound stages and support spaces in Brooklyn, New York, which would support potentially thousands of additional jobs. But wait, they didn't do a big nationwide campaign. How can they do that? I mean, you told us yeah, that you're going to take three falls in the forest type thing. <laughs> Uh, Google announced YouTube Music will be free on Google Home smart speakers and speakers that support Google Assistant. The free service will be ad-supported and available in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and parts of Europe to start. Last week, Bloomberg reported Amazon was about to launch a free streaming service of its own. More on that in a moment. Ming-Chi Kuo says Apple plans to upgrade the front camera in the 2019 iPhones from 7 megapixels to 12 megapixels, and Kuo has a good track record on this stuff. Kuo also said that a triple camera system would come to the 6.5-inch and 5.8-inch OLED iPhones, which would support a wide 12-megapixel lens, super wide, as they say in the 9to5Mac article. Kuo's report also reiterates that the 6.1-inch iPhone XR successor will adopt a dual camera system this year as well. And Amazon began offering access to music for free with ads through its Amazon voice service to non-prime subscribers in the U.S. So when a user requests a song, it launches an Amazon playlist or a station that contains that song. All right. 
Let's get some bad news out of the way, Justin. Oh, yes. We have two pieces of bad news for Facebook today. Number one, Business Insider reports that since May 2016, Facebook collected the email contact list of 1.5 million new users without consent. Facebook says the collection was unintentional and that it's process of deleting it's in the process of deleting the data. The collection was part of an identity verification method where users inputted their email account passwords, which Facebook ended last month prior to May 2016. Facebook allowed users to voluntarily uh, 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 upload contacts as part of the verification. When the verbiage for the consent was removed on May 2016, the underlying functionality remained. Now, that was just one. Here's the second. Uh, passwords accidentally stored in plain text on their servers number in the millions for Instagram users, not in the tens of thousands Facebook previously estimated. Yeah, yeah. whether or not that affects you, uh, that is... That yeah. is a, a like a, a gross underestimation. Well, on yeah, the well, basically, part. you know, to I am the one who will always say, "Well, hold on, but put your pitchfork down." Uh, this this is what's really going on, and it may you know it may be unfair to judge them on past behavior for current yeah, behavior. All right, so we're, go defend them. Go ahead and defend them now. I'm not uh, defending. I'm explaining. With Instagram, they discovered because of their investigation of the plain text that more of this had been stored which is a good thing. You want them to investigate, find out the extent of the bad problem, make it public, be transparent, and notify people, which they're going to do, uh, and figure it out. And as we said before, these were internal. They don't have any evidence that they were misused or accessed by anybody that shouldn't, but it is a bad thing. We're not, I'm not letting Facebook off the hook. This should never have happened. But at least this part of the story is them attempting to make it right. The 1.5 million users who had contact information <laughs> uploaded, though, I mean, come on. How many times do you, can you say, like, well, you know, mistakes are made? Uh, you should never have had a system where people were putting in their email password to verify themselves. And you certainly should make sure when you turn that system off that it stops automatically uploading people's contact information. That's almost inexcusable. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, we've gotten to the point now where every Facebook uh, breach story, I'm like, do we have to? <laughs> but, but, but no, I, I, Tom, you're, you're, you know, you hit it right on the nail. Um, it is, it is there, you know, there, this sort of story with any other company, you know, if you kind of, you know, put them side by side, you'd be like, well, some things happen and learning experience, blah, blah, blah. Facebook doesn't. Facebook is out of excuses at this point. Well, they have way too many people working on security features of their platform for me to sort of be like, well, you know, maybe they just messed it. I think that the problem is, is that specifically for people that may not follow tech news in the same way that we do, that everything that you hear from Silicon Valley is optimize, optimize, optimize. We need to make sure that we're going harder, faster, better, stronger at all times, move fast and break things. Uh, uh, this is, this is what we are doing. And so if you believe that they are reckless, this is an example of it. If you believe that they are, uh, uh, evolving as fast as they can, then you kind of wish like, all right, then why did you leave this porthole open? 
Moving on. In a joint statement, Amazon and Google announced that YouTube will be available on Amazon's Fire TV devices and smart TVs in the coming month after being gone for a year. You might recall this wasn't actually a a marriage in paradise uh, just one year ago. The main YouTube app will arrive first, followed by YouTube TV and YouTube Kids. Fire tablets and the Echo Show were not included in this rollout, however. But in addition, Amazon's Prime Video will start working with the Android TV, Chromecast, and Cast-enabled devices as well. Yeah, Prime Video has worked, I think, on the Shield and maybe some Sony TVs because those companies did some things to make it work. Uh, And that version of the app is the one that's going to show up everywhere else. Uh, Amazon started selling the Chromecast back in December, so we kind of knew this was coming. It took a little longer than I expected for it to get worked out. But I, you know, this sort of thing is annoying that it happened at all. Uh, Same thing when Prime Video wasn't on Apple TV for a long time. Uh, And it does sort of take away some of the advantages of the Roku, which has always been the platform agnostic one that said, hey, anybody can have their apps on our platform. Uh, Although Roku has other advantages now. So I'm not saying that, you know, they're at also ran by any stretch. But it's good to see us finally getting back to a system where whether you make a device or whether you make a service, you want to have that service available on all the devices. Yeah, I, this is to me the sign of a mature market. Uh, there, there had been, I think, a, a, a thought that this could be uh, set top boxes and sticks could be something that were a tremendous explosive growth industry. And while they've sold well and they've become an increasing part of many people's lives, it's not the iPhone, it's not the iPad. And so uh, the the idea of protecting your walled garden matters less, specifically when the biggest complaints you're always going to get are. Why can't I get this other subscription that I'm paying for on this thing? Why do I need to go buy another? Yeah, I I, I look at this this market and and I think, gosh, uh, who won in these battles? I don't know. Maybe Amazon and Google got slightly better terms from each other, but uh, mostly they lost out on sales and subscriptions uh, during this fight. And certainly we all lost uh, if we were using their devices or trying to use their service. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they ever do figure out the Echo Show, which was like a much bigger debate because Amazon was sort of using a workaround to show YouTube and Google stomped their foot down. Uh, I'm curious if that'll ever get resolved. Well, I mean, and, you know, generally it's just a win for us. It's a win now, but it wasn't during the fight. That's what it was. No, no, it certainly wasn't. But but I don't think that a lot of people, you know, who weren't following these stories closely, were just sort of like, why can't I get the, yeah, I don't under, you know, so, so I think that the companies working together for, for, for the good of the public, which means that everybody makes more money, makes the most sense. In response to reports of issues with early production models of the Samsung Galaxy Fold, we talked about these yesterday, uh, The Verge and CNBC both had hardware issues. And in response to that, Samsung says it will thoroughly inspect these units in person to determine the cause of the matter. Uh, Dieter Bone said his Galaxy Fold is on its way back to Samsung headquarters for investigation. Remember, Dieter was the one who was like, I don't know what happened. Maybe some grit got in the hinge, but something started to buckle and break Uh, the screen at the hinge Uh, and the CNBC one that Steve Kovac uh, was tweeting about yesterday was had flickering. It might've been a battery issue, might've been a connection issue, et cetera. That's on its way back to Samsung as well. Now, Mark Gurman and Marquez Brownlee reported problems after removing a protective layer they mistakenly thought was a screen protector. Samsung says, quote, 
Removing the protective layer or adding adhesives to the main display may cause damage, and we will ensure this information is clearly delivered to our customers. A little backhanded at uh, German and, and Brownlee there, but uh, they're saying, yeah, okay, we'll make sure that people know they're not supposed to take that off because it did look like something you might want to take off. In fact, Jessica Dahlcourt at CNET said she was tempted to take it off uh, and and didn't and was worried that YouTube commenters would criticize her for not having removed it after she did the video, but she's glad she didn't take it off now. So uh, hopefully they'll, they'll figure out the messaging around that, but I'm much more curious what these hardware issues are that we saw from The Verge and CNBC. This is bad. Yeah, it is. This is very bad because this is not just a new phone. This is not just a, a, another phone with a bunch of different features. This is a radically new form factor and one that's been uh, lusted after for many years. The idea of the foldable or rollable screen is something that has been a bit of a holy grail in terms of a fairly commoditized uh, a, a smartphone industry. And of all companies to have hardware problems, Samsung already has one strike on the ledger, a very public one when it came to the 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 note and and the the explosive controversy around that. I don't know. Open Bayou in the chat room is saying it's the Note 7 exploding batteries all over again. It's not. No, uh, no, no. It it isn't, but he well, not, No, but it's it's it, not wrong that, that this echoes off it. Sure. No, that 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 that's true. And Especially when everyone was saying, look, a hinge in the middle, isn't that going to break the screen? And Samsung bent over backwards like 200,000 times we had machines checking this hinge. It's solidly engineered. And you have The Verge saying, yeah, uh, broken the screen right in the middle of the hinge, just like everybody was worried. Uh, it's good. That's going to take a lot of explaining. Yeah, I mean, these sorts of situations when a, a, a small group of people get test units and those people are... Uh, very influential on a large swath of people who may or may not buy a product and say, uh, my screen broke after a couple of days, super confusing as to why. Yes, the company can do some damage control and and, and make this right, <laughs> but it is a bad time. It's a bad time for that to happen. Security researcher Hanno Bach noticed that the subdomain uh, meant to convert RSS feed into special XML formats for Windows 8 and 10 live tiles were returning an error. The notifications, buildmypinnedsite.com, was redirected to an unregistered Azure subdomain. So, Bach registered the subdomain and is currently sinkholing all requests. But warranty won't keep it forever as the amount of traffic headed its way is running up the cost. If the registration lapses again, malicious actors could create malformed XML design to run code for any website based uh, live tiles at the start page. Microsoft has not yet responded to him about it, according to ZDNet. Yeah, this is not good. Uh, and I'm I'm. I'm surprised that we haven't seen Microsoft respond to this yet. Uh, and by the time you listen to this, maybe they will have responded. Uh, I'm, you know, he's, he has notified Microsoft and they haven't replied, but maybe they're in the business of trying to figure out how this happened and negotiating with him uh, to figure out how to transfer the registration of the subdomain. Uh, but this, this is really bad to be encouraging people like, hey, use our conversion thing and then have it go bad. That's really embarrassing. Uh, yeah, 
it's very bad. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I don't, I don't really, I think there's a reason why we have a, a, a yeah, a <laughs> silently, we agree. Well, yeah, no, there's not much else to say, is there? It's like, no, yeah. uh, Microsoft That's shouldn't awful. have let this slip, and I hope they fix it real fast. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Hano Bach, for sinkholing this. Uh, please contribute to the Hano Bach GoFundMe to, to exactly, keep this sinkhole right? going. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, uh, uh, this is not a problem where it's like he had, he notified them and then Microsoft did something. This is currently on fire. Mm-hmm. Please call the fire department, Microsoft. Yeah. This is a very bad thing. And uh, no, there is not a GoFundMe. I just made that up in case you took that seriously. <laughs> Let's go to Europe, shall we? Oh, to comply wow. with the European Commission's ruling last year, Google announced that European Android users will be presented with new screens with options to download search apps and browsers. After receiving an Android update, users will be shown two screens when opening the Google Play Store, offering a selection of five apps for search engines and browsers that will show installed apps alongside other options based on popularity and in random order, supposedly. Downloading a new search app will also prompt users to confirm if they want their default search changed to the Chrome browser as well. <laughs> of course. The update will be rolling out across Europe over the next several weeks. Default search changed in the Chrome browser, particularly. In other words, if you're using the Chrome browser, you can have your default search changed in there to DuckDuckGo or something else like that. Um, yeah. I, a lot of people are not happy with this uh, solution because, yes, it says we'll show you installed apps uh, first, and then anything else for the rest of the five options, if you don't have any other installed apps, will fill in the most popular. Except what app is always installed on an Android phone? Why, it's Google's own app. Which means, as far as we can tell from all these mockups, the first option on this page will always be Google. And when you're choosing things, that primary position uh, tends to get chosen just more often. It's human psychology. So a bunch of folks are crying foul saying this should be randomized order. This is not even as good as Microsoft's browser choice uh, screen from Microsoft Windows back in the day, which gave you a true random order. Yeah, these are always whenever we get into the the, the, the dark magic of Europe's uh, anti-competitive laws. Like, I, I don't know exactly where we draw. The Why is it dark magic? Because it's always confusing and they're always upset about things that I'm not upset about. And, and I don't know. Europe frightens and confuses me. It always has. Uh, That's I'm, what I'm going to use next time. Like, there's any law passed I don't like. Dark magic. I, I just, yeah, it's I don't. The black don't, forest of yeah, regulation. It is. So, so which one? There's a mountain. Like uh, I'm sure there's uh, Hans Christian Andersen on some <laughs> levels referenced. It, it, I don't feel. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. This one feels pretty straightforward. Where they said yeah, like, no, look, no, you no, can't no. privilege your search choice and you can't privilege your browser. You have to give people a choice. And Google said, great, we're going to give people a choice. And the first choice on every screen is us. I, I guess. I guess my my question is at, at what point is the burden of of, of proof I, is it randomization because if it is then that should have been spelled out when uh, uh you know the, the first kind of complaint was levied that like this is the remedy the remedy is not to say technically here's the more slots that you can that you can do in other places where you can download other apps it should be no you should always have to randomize no matter what uh 
Well, um, I there's there's the the court of European justice, uh, which you're addressing, and I I think that's fair. There's the court of public opinion too that Google might want to pay attention to, especially in Europe, where part of the reason they're being targeted is because the majority opinion is that they are too powerful. Maybe you come with a browser choice screen that's a little more equitable, and you don't get so many people complaining about it. I mean, really? You think that's that's really going to change the the hearts and minds of people who believe that Google is too powerful? It would take one one weapon. I mean, right now the blog posts are fast and furious, uh, and they have something very easy to point at. I I don't know how much it buys them uh, uh, in terms of because there's many other reasons why Google can be too powerful. This sure is. I I don't know. I, I feel like if you're Google, you're literally just trying to follow the letter of the law. You're saying, what do we need to do? And then if people are upset about it, then, okay, do we need to now make that uh, decision? And if they determine that they do, then that's fine. But ultimately, I don't think it's in their interest because they're there to sell ads. And the more people are searching with Google, the more ads they're selling. And I think we've got, you know, we've gotten to the point now where when you talk about searching on the Internet, often you say Googling something. I mean, Google has become... So like beyond predominant in this field that it's like the company being forced to in certain markets being like, okay, well, we can't just like only offer our option. We have to offer uh, certain options or make sure that other people, uh, you know, or users know that there are other options is, is almost beneath them. And I don't mean it's been it's beneath them. That's in the, sense the problem. That they That's exactly what people it. are. Why people are targeting them? They're like they think it's beneath them to play by the rules and not abuse. Well, the and that, and that's kind of how I feel. Google probably feels they're arrogant. Is what you're saying? I mean, oh jeez, this is I what mean, happens. How, how could you not be arrogant? You're Google. Yes. I mean, what happens when, when you're being sued? When you're being sued for abusing your market dominance. It's probably best to try to appear like you're not abusing your market dominance in the solution to the accusation right. of abusing your market dominance, especially when you're still appealing that decision. It's going to help right. you in court. Yep. Well, it, yeah. Yeah. it, it might. Us. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the big news of the day. Many folks are making many things out of the Mueller report, but don't worry. If you're like, wait a minute, what are you in DTNS? I thought I could get away from this stuff. As many of you know, we stay away from politics unless it squarely bears on how we use technology. Like just now, how we choose our browsers. That's a political story, but it bears on how you choose technology. So the one thing we find important to note on this show about the Mueller report is that it was delivered on a compact disc. <laughs> Wired Brian Barrett, I will commend had the best Mueller report story I read all day because it is a very balanced report on why the Mueller report was delivered on a CD-ROM. Now, there's some speculation that it could be a sneaker net thing. In other words, it's just faster and more expedient than dealing with attachments. There was some speculation like, well, maybe email, some older email systems wouldn't allow a large attachment. The attachment didn't turn out to be that large, so it's probably not that. More likely, it's just habit. Sending hard copies of sensitive documents minimizes the chance of the doc going somewhere it shouldn't because it's not on a server. It's not an email where it can be forwarded easily. And some members of Congress will receive a version of the report with fewer redactions than the public version since the members of Congress are cleared to see things, especially regarding ongoing investigations, that the public are not allowed to see. And while, yes, there are other ways to do hard copies, such as a USB drive, 
We all know, if we listen to this show at all, that USB drives are fraught with their own kind of peril about who plugged it into what last and what got installed on it. So Barrett quotes the 2018 edition of the Arkfeld's Best Practices Guide for ESI Pretrial Discovery Strategy and Tactics. This is advice to lawyers and how to deliver their sensitive documents. Generally, the producing party will provide disclosure of responsive data to the requesting party's ESI production request by physically transferring the data by CD-ROM, DVD, hard drive, or other storage media. In other words, don't email it, don't put it on a server, hand it over. And as we just discussed, hard drive or other storage media does have its dangers. So, you know, when you got a small file, doesn't need a DVD, burning it to a CD-ROM, probably a conservative choice. I mean, what about the cloud, man? Do we not, we, we don't trust the cloud? No, no, of course you don't trust the cloud. Anybody <laughs> could get into the cloud. Anybody could pass along a link. No, I know, I know. It, 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 it's funny because, you know, the, the obvious thing is like CD ROMs, like, I don't even have a computer that, well, I probably do somewhere in this house, but I don't have a computer that I use with any regularity, which would be able to, if someone was like, here's the Mueller report, I'd be like, oh, how do I play this? I don't actually have a wig, but you know. Prime now, an optical drive? (laughs) That's a good way to slow down the delivery, make sure it doesn't leak ahead of time. Because somebody has to look around to find a CD-ROM drive so they can read this thing. And granted, yes, once they've well, got it on a computer, it, you know, they can copy it and send it anywhere, right? But it's yeah. putting speed bumps in place. Well, and, and you know, this is a very highly politically charged document, something that uh, has worldwide interests that was very deliberately staggered to get to very specific people. And if that uh, if that's the case, then you functionally have to keep it off any kind of medium that can transmit anything. And that includes a USB stick, right? Tim DG in our discord points out that a CD-ROM is read only. So it prevents people from changing it and claiming it to be the original. You have a hard copy of the original you can point to. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing that that is the, for, for many of us, a, a forward future facing, uh, technology now is so legacy that government's using it to make sure it's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of all the security measures that we've come up with over the last 10 years, CD-ROM is still, you know, kind of the best one. Look, at some point we'll have figured out um, um, some marriage of encryption and public ledgers and cloud yeah. services such that we can all say, you know what? We're probably not worried about that anymore. It really works. That day's like 10 to 20 years from now. So for now, I'm actually, in certain cases, pretty comfortable with like, you know what? We're just going to put it on a CD-ROM for now. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next special prosecutor delivering their report via Instagram DM. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so secure. So old. So old. Slide on in and tell us what's up. <laughs> hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Also, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You help us pick our stories every day and we love you for it. You can submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. If you hang out on Facebook, we got a group. You should join it. Facebook.com slash groups slash daily tech news show. All right, let's check in with Chris Christensen, who has some good news, at least in 
El Futuro for people who hate the TSA experience. Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. If the least favorite part of traveling for you is going through the TSA or the airport security line, then there is some good news for you, at least for those of you traveling through American airports. And it may take five years to get there, but there is plans to introduce a new type of scanner, which is a computed tomography scanner. It gives the operator a 3D image of what's in your carry-on which is a quantum leap forward, the TSA says, from the current X-ray scanners. And it should mean that you won't have to take your electronics out of your carry-on, nor will you have to take out your liquids. So it sounds like it's good news. If it works as promised, they have been testing it. They should start hitting airports as soon as this summer, but it will take five years to complete the rollout. I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler. So wait, then what do the TSA pre-people get? Can I just keep my bag on my shoulder as I go through? Yeah, just get a good one. That's a good question. It just looks you up and down. Because <laughs> one of the benefits, not the only one, but one of the benefits of TSA Pre is, oh, you don't have to take your electronics out and you don't have to take your, your liquid Shoes out. off. Shoes, yeah. shoes, shoes yeah. are a big thing. Shoes, shoes and jackets still a, still a big one. That's a good point. Uh, you know, I just recently uh, renewed my global entry and it was super smooth and props to the DHS website for requiring two-factor authentication, not from text message, from an actual like second factor application. Uh, it was it was all the things that you expect and the password choosing. It was like, you need to have a complex password. Uh, all, all the things we're generally passing along as good recommendations from security professionals were being followed by, at dhs.gov. So there you go. How, how, long, how long did it take you? I uh, submitted my request for an appointment and within two weeks had my card. Because mm. uh, somebody, I'm not going to say who. Are you, are you um in because that... No, long time or a short time. My my global entry uh, has expired, and I have a international trip coming up. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna need to get that old horse moving down the road. I don't know what if it changes. You just you just just go, you know, just go coach with the rest of us. We all get on the plane. It's fine. Oh no, it's coming back. It's it's skipping customs. All right, we're doing global entry doesn't doesn't get you out of coach, but it does get you past that big long line coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, let's check out the mailbag, Sarah. Let's do it. James wrote in about our conversation yesterday about why teenagers are buying games from malls, you know, rather than online, or at least, you know, in in greater numbers than one might think. James says, I think the ability to buy used games and then sell ones that you don't want anymore is still a big deal, especially to gamers with funding issues. So selling digital at retail, I think, messes a big part of the underlying motivation. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market. 
perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, that goes I mean, along with what we were saying it, yesterday. Yeah, prob- yeah, probably part of it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good good stuff, James. Thank you for sharing the thoughts and share your thoughts with us too. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Absolutely. Thanks, James. And thanks to everybody who sends us feedback. We love it. Keep it coming. Also, thanks to Justin Robert Young for being with us today. Justin, what is going on with you? Well, friends, you can go ahead and get all my musings about the Mueller report and the political ramifications that will come from it at my free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Five newsletters a week, five stories a day, mostly gifts, some hot takes. And this uh, one will be a good one to sign up for. Sign up for today because we're going to have every single possible angle of the Mueller report covered for you tomorrow morning. Now, most every week on a Friday or Saturday, I'll put out uh, to the patrons at the $5 level and up an episode of The Editor's Desk, uh, where it's just sort of my thoughts on things. And every once in a while, I'll deep dive into a particular single topic. Back in January, I did a special on 5G, explaining what it was, what it wasn't, what it might do for us, trying to cut through the hype. Uh, I'm putting that out into the public feed on Saturday this week. So if you just listen to DTNS over a public RSS feed, look for that on Saturday. I also put it out yesterday to the people at the dollar level to say, hey, you know what? Uh, if you don't get the editor's desk because you're not at that level, here's an example of, of what I do. And I got a couple of really nice emails. Jamie said, you did an incredible job on that 5G editor's desk. I Man, I enjoyed it so much so that I upped my pledge to $5 so I can grab the rest of them. My personal Patreon is doing so well, so I thought I would share the love. Thank you, Jamie, and congratulations on the personal Patreon. And then Ritesh said, after listening to the 5G episode of my feed today, I came to the realization that I take your show for granted. I realized that instead of reading all the clickbait headline stories on all things tech, I just listen to your take on the matter since it's always objective and not full of fluff. With that said, I'm upping my normal dollar pledge to $5. Thank you, Ritesh, uh, for doing that. And if uh, you want to check out what they're talking about, go to patreon.com slash DTNS. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Questions, comments, thoughts, anything, send it our way. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow to talk about headphones with Chris Ashley. See you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... 
partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.